one of our aims when we started the company was to prove to the industry and to the kind of house building marketplace that designing in a forward thinking, creative and innovative way would meet with buyers and not only buyers, but buyers who are actually prepared to spend a little bit more on good design. The, a lot of the reason why house builds build so boringly is because they're trying to appeal to a mass market. So we really wanted to prove that actually there was a market of people that would invest in good design and no other estate agents out there were particularly interested in that mission. So we really do feel like we have proved that there is a market for that and we hope that we have made a kind of small contribution to the quality of design of new housing. Welcome to the Brave New Real Estate podcast, a podcast for ambitious leaders ready to get to work, do the work and create a better built world reality. I'm James Sanderson, founder of Studio Sanderson, a communication consultancy that works with leaders in real estate, design and the built environment. When you think of innovative future-facing companies, a real estate agency is unlikely to be near the top of your list. Yet by launching The Modern House, a real estate agency specialising in selling the UK's best design-led homes, co-founders Albert Hill and Matt Gibbard have created one such company. Their creative and editorial approach has helped them evolve The Modern House into an agile hybrid business, part real estate agency, lifestyle brand, and part media outlet. And recently they launched a spin-off agency, Inigo, specialising in selling stunning historic homes in the UK. Clearly doing something right, The Modern House now has a staff of around 60 and over half a million followers on Instagram, making it the most followed real estate brand in the world. In today's episode, I speak with Albert Hill, co-founder of The Modern House, about reimagining the real estate agency model, building a brand, and how the year 2020 may have disrupted the role of the home forever. Let's get to it. Morning, Albert. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Hi, pleased to be here. I and many of my friends know the modern house. Everyone absolutely loves it. But maybe you can, for people who might not know it in the US, just give a little sort of background of what it is, how you got there, where you are today. I mean, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, I actually started life working in magazines so publishing and media. Whilst I was there, I worked out that estate agencies, as we call them here in the UK, just really didn't understand how exciting and amazing the things that they often handled were. And were just treating them as if they were widgets, just something to put on the sales production line. So we thought, well, wouldn't it be great to celebrate the kind of houses that we love and help people that we knew who are looking for great houses to curate a place where we sold what we saw as kind of the best homes in the UK. So yeah, we started doing that some time ago now, sort of about 15 years ago. And funnily enough, we've sort of now come around full circle in that we're doing much more of the kind of publishing and media side of things. A lot of people say we're a kind of community, a publisher, but really at the heart of our revenue model is the brokerage of home sales. The origins of the modern house is modernist buildings, properties. Can you talk a a little bit about what makes an ideal property for the modern house? Well, to give you a very specific story as to how it it started was my uh, friend of mine and I 
one weekend found an old book in a bookshop that listed all the great modern houses. And when I say modern, I'm talking 40s, 50s, 60s houses in the UK. And there are a number of pages on the area that we live. So we just spent a day on our bikes Uh, going around, just looking at them, just as a tourist, just as something nice to do. And we happened to notice that two or three of them were for sale. So we looked up the sales listings of them and the estate agents that were representing them were sort of almost apologetic in their presentation of them. Sort of this this quirky bungalow, you know, that sort of thing. And we were like, my God, no, that's a masterpiece. You just need to photograph it right and describe it right. correctly. And there's an audience of people that you really haven't been hitting. So it started out with a sort of, you know, we really thought that modernism was really unloved by the estate agency industry in particular. Yeah. They were all for kind of old period properties, but they really didn't get that. So it started out like that. And it started out quite purist as well, I suppose, in terms of architecture. And over time, it's evolved to represent more more of a modern way of living. So we'll often uh, represent an old 16th century barn, for instance, but that's been converted in a way that really does reflect a modern way of living. So it's changed a little bit over time. So in the beginning, there was this disappointment that these these places hadn't been celebrated in a way that you, mm. you had the, the vision to kind of see them. And, and I suppose a hunch that there'd be other people who would also feel that way. When did you feel like you could see the value of this coming together and, and an audience building and people, the sales starting to happen? Well, I knew that there was an audience of people who liked modern design because I worked as a journalist in that field. So I worked at magazines like Wallpaper, a magazine called Blueprint. So I knew that there was an audience for that sort of thing. I knew that estate agents didn't understand it. I also knew that I wasn't making much money as a journalist. And I saw that estate agents agents were... were uh, and often whenever I met them kind of professionally or personally they showed very little care or love of what they were doing because being a journalist and being surrounded by creative people you're always coming across these amazing bright committed individuals and I just didn't see any of those really Mm -hmm. I mean of course they're there in the estate agency of course they are there and and there are more and more of these days that was what convinced me that there was a, a gap in the market. And who would be that modern house consumer today in the UK? There's probably mm-hmm. a segmented number of profiles, but generally... It's somebody who really cares about their living environment, for starters. Right. You know, someone who places value on the space that they live and how they feel in it, how it looks the qualities of the experience of being in it. And it's also someone who wants to live in a way that they want to live rather than the way that we've all traditionally lived. You know, it's someone who's got the confidence to say, well, just because everyone else does this doesn't mean I have to. And a lot of the spaces we sell have been designed by people who have broken boundaries or at least come up with new ways of doing things or looked at things in an innovative or exciting way. A lot of people respond to that, I suppose. 
because a lot of the stock on the market is often designed by, I don't know, house builders or whatever, using kind of lowest common denominator design. You know, it's really just recycling templates of design that have been used for decades. All a last-minute expense, nothing to focus on, don't want to invest in it. That, I think, I mean, obviously, as you said, not coming from the background, you've approached it from an editorial perspective because that's what you do. But I think also for other real estate agents, you know, that, you know, there's a lot of risk, right? It's a skin in the game business. Yes, Um, You don't get it until later. And so that idea of investing up front and building an editorial system and and having that is, 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 I think, very challenging. Can you talk a little bit about how you've, you've thought about that, that storytelling aspect and the cultivating the relationships outside of the transaction window, right? Which is not a typical. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just before I talk about that, I think one of the things I was going to say, just going back a step was that one of our aims when we started the company was to prove to the industry and to the kind of house building marketplace that designing in a, forward-thinking, creative and innovative way would meet with buyers and not only buyers, but buyers who are actually prepared to spend a little bit more on good design. A lot of the reason why house builds build so boringly is because they're trying to appeal to a mass market. So we really wanted to prove that actually there was a market of people that would invest in good design and no other estate agents out there were particularly interested in that mission. So we really do feel like we have proved that there is a market for that. And we hope that we have made a kind of small contribution to the quality of design of new housing. But I suppose to go back to your question about engaging people beyond the transaction window, which is a really interesting one. Yes, I think that that all other estate agencies are really only interested in people if they're buying or they're selling yeah they might pretend to be otherwise you know they might have an ad agency that says some clever things but if you look at their annual reports for instance of the biggest estate agencies it's purely focused on the transaction that's all they care about i suppose there are two things there's both kind of personally and professionally from a personal level we're enthusiasts We absolutely genuinely want to share our love of these spaces with a broader community of people. And then I suppose from a commercial aspect, you think, well, we use what we call advocacy marketing. Our belief is that if you give people kind of entertainment and inspiration, in a way, A, builds up trust and B, there's a kind of reciprocation thing going on so that they feel like, oh, they owe you something back. So when it comes to that moment when they do come to sell their house or actually just as importantly, if not more importantly, when they're talking to a friend of theirs who's about to sell their house, they act as advocates for us to them. So it's really just creating a sort of community of people who are out there advocating what you do. So that's also how kind of customer experience comes into it as well. You know, it's so important to us that people come out of the end of the process with us of having bought or sold with us as advocates for what we do. Yeah, we really see people as kind of lifetime 
associates or whatever you want to call it with with the brand yeah. rather than people that just uh, bounce in and bounce out again. I love that advocacy marketing. Even re- just removing the marketing, right? It's just advocates, as you say. I mean, in tech, they talk about sort of network effects and things, but it's this this human idea, as you say, of, of just focusing on giving people good service, helping them be inspired, educating them on it, and it just becomes a very natural thing as opposed to a transaction, as you said. Absolutely. And I also think that certainly in the UK, the estate agency industry has a big trust issue. If you look at surveys of who the least trusted professions are, estate agents are always kind of named. So winning people's trust as an estate agent is quite a hard job to do. So if you can do that by showing them your enthusiasm and expertise over a number of years via content, they will naturally just learn to trust that, A, you know what you're talking about, and B, that you share the same enthusiasms and passions as, as them. And content that is not always trying to sell you something. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. key. Yeah. It'd be great to just hear about how you've built, because as you said, you've backed your way into a, a real estate agency, right? Coming from that world of communications and editorial and uh, nuance and information displaying information well how did you go about building the kind of teams for that engaging bringing Mm. on new brokers state agents in in the uk yeah and building out that kind of the the ecosystem so that was quite difficult in the beginning we thought we were absolutely clueless so we better hire some estate agents and that completely backfired there's that phrase entrenched wisdom they started doing things the way that they had always done them and been taught to do them which was absolutely not the way that we wanted to do things and although we avoided a lot of shortcuts and did things the hard way we built a service in the way that we thought it should be done rather than the way it always had been done and we found that whenever we brought in people who had an experience in a state agency they would try to bring it back to the old ways So we kind of drew a line under that and we don't hire people from there anymore and haven't done for a long time. You wouldn't rule it out, of course. And as I say, there are some great people there. I mean, there really are. Um, And in fact, I'm not being entirely true. We have hired maybe one or possibly two recently. So then you're like, okay, so we can't hire from the industry that we're working in. So where do we go? And then you start having to persuade people in the arts and the media and advertising, what have you to join an estate agency, whereas, you know, no kid lies in bed dreaming of being an estate agent. You know, they dream of being an architect or a doctor or, you know, whatever it is. Artist, yeah. Yeah, or an artist or, yeah. So you kind of have to persuade them then that that, that by coming and working with us, they're not giving up on the dream. In fact, what they're doing is, A, it totally is creative. It's, you know, you work with some amazing people, but also... It's a really nurturing job what we do. People selling and buying houses are often at a very vulnerable place. I mean, I'm sure you've bought and sold before, James, and it's a stressful right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's stressful. Yeah. And you know, you don't know whether you're coming again. It often coincides with lots of other changes in your life. It's obviously a tricky time. So to be part of that shift in someone's life, to be so intimately involved with it is kind of a real privilege we see our role as kind of helping people to get from one place to the other, both physically and emotionally and lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. And we're just there to try and be as supportive as we can. Really. 
But I suppose what changed for us was when we started to really focus on the employee experience, we really started to get some really good people and they started to enjoy working there. And then they started to tell other people. And we really tried to become a brand, a place where people wanted to work. And now we get loads of people for every, every position, but it really wasn't like that at the beginning. But um, yeah, focusing on the employee experience is so, so important, especially when you're trying to hire people from adjacent industries. Are you able to go into a little bit more detail about, let's say you take on a, a new listing and you yeah. show prospective buyers around a property. You know, we just talked about, as you say, you built this culture of, mm. of your way of doing things, which I would always say is, is the way of doing things is the brand, right? Yeah. How different is that compared to traditional agents, agency? Or As you and I have experienced, when you deal with traditional agencies, you get some really great people and some really terrible people. But I think in terms of the outlook, we take what we kind of call a really collaborative approach. So we work with our clients as peers and we work with our buyers as peers. So it's not like we're the experts here and we'll do what we want to do. You know, we treat people as having as much, if not more knowledge than us. I mean, who knows more about their house than the owners, right? And who knows more about what they want from a house than the person buying a house? Well, funnily enough, I was watching Modern Family last night and the main character from that is a real estate agent, isn't he? Um, Phil Dunphy. And, you know, he spends his whole time with clients doing house viewings, just telling them how great the houses for their lifestyle and he's only met them like 30 seconds ago and it's like they tell them what they want they know what they want so our approach is build the deepest and most beautiful information about the house that you can yeah present it in the best possible way in terms of attractiveness and information that goes with showing it as well and respect the intelligence to people to make their own decisions once you've given them that information don't try and say oh you've got to buy this because of this this and this you know that's up to them we don't actually call our people sales people for instance just because it's it's not a selling job we see it as almost like a sort of project management job i Mm, suppose yeah it's certainly a sales job when you're trying to convince someone to list with you i mean that's because you're selling your service kind of thing but even when you're selling your service you're kind of basically saying look we get your house and we're going to work together to try and hand it over to the next person. You know, that's yeah. kind of the way we look at things. You know, going back to the the ecosystem of things, the podcasts, the films, the uh, yeah. editorial, quite a lot. I see that you've got buyers, you know, you're doing a piece on, on their home and how does that work? Cause I, I, again, I, you know, having a little bit of experience in this world that I've always found people, I know we, you know, we can't possibly ask, our buyer won't want to talk about their home and you mean seller yeah sorry seller seller yeah well you get different types of sellers i mean some are just desperate to have maximum exposure you know they've poured lots of their heart and soul into a space and actually they love the fact that they're on this website that lots of people look at in a kind of content way and they can share their space and other people are quite the opposite they're like just Let's do this in as low-key a way as possible. 
yeah, we really try and do things that celebrate the space as much as possible rather than the people or the what goes on inside it or or even the kind of prices of the industry. It's really just about the sacredness of the space and people kind of believe in that. So they're happy to share it, I suppose. But also you don't accept, you don't take on every house, right? That That's, yes. how, does, how does, I mean, for example, give me an example of like, what would be an average of percentage of, of the properties yeah. that of sellers who come to you and what you take on? It's roughly 50. So it sort of fluctuates between 40 and 60 as to what we take on and what we don't take on. Obviously, from a commercial perspective, in the short term, you want to take on everything. Mm. But people come to you because you've filtered out a selection of things already. And from a seller's perspective, that kind of putting it in a context of superior goods in a way kind of raises the value of it as well. So, you know, you've immediately created something a little bit more desirable, I suppose. There was an independent company that did some research recently and they found that our properties sold for about, I think it was an average of 12% above the local prices. And whilst we would like to think that that's all because of how great we are, I think a lot of that is down to how great the houses themselves are. You know, that, I think that's a real thumbs up for design in general. And now people are more and more confident to spend on design. Because if you look in, say, the car industry or the watch industry or something, people it's so accepted that people will pay for design. Compare a, a watch at the bottom end of the price range to the top end of the price range. It's huge, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And same in kind of cars as well. But you come to houses and there's previously been a reluctance to pay any more than the sort of going price on the street, even if one is designed incredibly and is an incredible house. The other one's really not very good at all. But that is starting to change as people realise as people want to invest in experience and lifestyle and people, you know, understand how important that is, which has been particularly brought on by the pandemic as well and people spending more time at home. So, um, yeah, we're only seeing people spend more on design, which is quite interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I think um, we'll get into post 2020 stuff in a minute, but I I think, you know, on one side you've had, and definitely in the U S you've had huge disruption because of, the typical aggregation platforms and things that have, mm-hmm. have changed the, the industry or, or increased what we've said is not great about it, right? Just the transaction. But yeah. the, I, I feel like the only way to hedge against that as this type of industry, as you said, is, is to build this more human connection and to make it focused on a, on a building type or whatever it may be. Absolutely. So that's something we really see. I mean, you're seeing in a lot of industries that might, for instance, like in auctions, you notice that all these little bespoke auction houses are popping up, like Mm. focused on really small things, just because eBay has just got too overwhelming. It's just... First dibs or whatever it may be. Or first dibs or whatever, it's just too much. And you just feel like you're sort of just jumping into a a sea of information and crap and what have you. Yeah. You know, platforms that can really filter down and someone you can see that humans have rather than algorithms have put in a lot of thought and care into making a selection of things is only becoming more and more sought after, I think. Yeah. Just to get into the post 2020 
how has it been for you guys in the UK in terms of the market and, and, and changes mm. that you've seen? Obviously, in the US, it's been retreating to the rural areas. We've seen you yeah. know, lots of, and, and there's no way I think anybody can say they have the full narrative because it's still ongoing. But you mm. know, we've seen, obviously, people moving out of cities to suburbs, exurbs, as people are talking about them. You know, almost a sort of geographic migration and in terms of economies as well, I think it's really happened. Have you seen the same in the UK, is it? Certainly, yes, absolutely. I mean, of course, we don't have as much rural space to retreat into as you know you do in the US. But yes, I mean, that much is very clear. And I think it seems to be people always wanted to do it, but the pandemic and the lockdown sort of gave them the ticket to be able to to do it in a way. How long term it will be is really interesting it's really interesting to see i was talking to uh, an elderly chap the other day he was recalling a time in the 70s where everyone ran for the hills i can't remember what prompted it probably you know an economic downturn yeah um before margaret thatcher and probably yeah, yeah exactly and all these kind of slightly radical communities bubbled up and he said, yeah, I remember whatever ran for the hills, you know, they were all back in the city within 10 years, most of them. So I think it'll be the same thing this time round. Yeah. So I've got that idea that actually people will realise that when they get out there, you know, there isn't the theatres, restaurants, whatever it is. So they'll start coming back again. But actually, I think that there's been a more fundamental shift than that. So I do think it'll be a, a little more long lasting this time. Yeah. There's so much conversation and so many things being talked about. It's it's really quite challenging to like single in on like okay, well, what is it? But I, I, from my perspective, I feel like it's it's work, right? Work work is the thing that's really been disrupted, yes. and and the ability to to not have to be in the, the location define my work or my work defined by my location, right. etc. Is 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 the yeah. big thing that's just didn't doesn't exist. I mean, it exists and people are trying to make it happen. And we're talking about hybrid office and all these different things. What about you guys in terms of your, the way you, you're working? Are you, yeah. you going to kind of distributed yeah, well, office? I, yeah, I think we are in the same boat as everybody else trying to work out what that ideal balance is between people being able to work remotely versus having people get together and spark off each other. And, you know, everyone's different as well. Some people thrive off a quieter space. Some people thrive off uh, a busier space. So trying to get that blended mix. I mean, yes, we're doing the same as, as everybody, really, just trying to work that out. But I, to go back, I think, yes, work has definitely changed. But I think one of the other big things that has changed is obviously technology. So that's, yeah. you know, the fact that you and I can talk yes, over yeah. a a video call from the US. But I also think that we've kind of got a little bit of technology fatigue as well, because we're on it so much and have been on it so much during the pandemic. Like we crave nature, texture, all those things that technology, sanctuary, sanctuary all those right. things that technology don't give you. Our human need for all that goes up and up. The more we look into technology and, you know, everyone's talking about the metaverse, aren't they? And, and um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg saying that it's all about the metaverse and all that sort of stuff. If we get more and more down that path, I think that that will only increase 
the desire for rural living because right. once you've got out of the metaverse, right, you kind of want a little bit of a breeze on your face and, and, and the birds in the trees just to sort of counterbalance that sort of slightly vacuum-like space that, that, that is technology. Yeah. There's a chap called Alvin Toffler who is a, uh, a kind of futurist and a, and a thinker, and he wrote in the 1980s and he had this concept of something called the electronic cottage, which was fascinating. And he kind of got it almost spot on in that there will be a home in the middle of nowhere that serves all your functions, your educational functions, your medical functions, your work functions. And yeah, this was in the eighties. I mean, he really got it right. So it's really worth reading his kind of vision of the electronic cottage. And that's how I kind of see. Yeah. That's how people, uh, you know, what they want now. Yeah. No, that I, combination of the ancient and the contemporary, you know. Yeah. In terms of what buyers are, are asking for, have you seen, um, other yeah. than the locations, the nature, have you seen any of the, because of course the, mm-hmm. other, the other looming one that I think this has accelerated is, is climate and environmental and sustainability, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen people built? Have you seen that kind of been on people's minds a lot? Well, we talk about this quite a bit at the company and we're always really surprised and I guess disappointed at how little we are asked about that, actually. Mm. So I think that a lot of work needs to be done by people, including us, to make sustainability more aspirational. And I think it's all very well putting rules and regulations around things. But what you really want to do is to make people really want it. I'm always surprised that, you know, for instance, passive houses, which is the kind of gold standard of, of, you know, sustainable housing. And people who have passive houses are always like, this must be worth more than a normal house. And we kind of say, we would love to tell you that that is the case, but the market just doesn't respond that way yet. We're trying to do what we can, I suppose, to foreground the narrative around sustainability and our content, for instance, you know, and make it more of a thing that people talk about. And I'm sure that as the climate emergency only gets worse, it will go up further and further up people's list. But, um, yeah, I think it's still a way to go. And I suppose from the um, Dieter Rams and the, and the modernists, good design is sustainable if it's if yes. it's truly done and but i think it's it's such a it's a niche conversation and as you said and it needs to be much more aspirational i feel i feel like there's some of the consu- the new young consumer brands that are coming through in the us mm. are building in very much a a sustainability circular economy uh, yes, kind of aspect absolutely. and it's it's becoming sexy if you like um, that's right yeah that's it's good. not just a kind of halo it's really integral to yeah. it and um, you know, we all know that the construction industry is one of the worst, if not the worst, contributor to um, carbon emissions. So, you know, there is a lot of change that people need to do. What we're starting to see is a much bigger interest in retrofitting. So that's really interesting. So a move away from building sustainable houses to actually understanding how better to make existing buildings more sustainable and i think yeah. that's where the where the answer lies right and even even though there might not be the appreciation there's all kinds of things with 
reducing energy costs and all that kind of stuff, which I think, uh, even though there's yeah. an upfront investment, it's in the long term, I think there's, there's some great Yeah, I mean, I mean, the problem is, is that it's a very unsexy investment to make your house more energy efficient. An architect I know who specialises in retrofit says the problem is, is that when I tell people that they just need to put some insulation in their walls and cover it over plaster so that no one sees it, they're a bit like, oh, I quite want to be a bit, you know, show off a little bit more that I've got, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, there's that aspect of it. So it's working out how people can enjoy the process of making their house a bit more energy efficient. Are there any other features or or things that people have have, have looked into post post Mm. 2020 is probably the way to say it. One thing you talked about, shift away from open plan that's obviously an obvious one in some ways but anything else Mm. shift away from open plan is certainly a big one and that's kind of works on lots of different levels much like the retreat to rural areas just the rise in demand for gardens and if not gardens then window boxes and then if not window boxes the view of a park or just anything that involves green certainly a, a big demand for funnily enough kind of texture So what I mean by texture is, so rather than an interior that's kind of pure white minimalist flat, even like those kind of 60s and 70s timber interiors, or, you know, you get a lot of people doing clay walls now. And again, just things that feel a little bit more natural to the touch. Um, Definitely seen a, a demand for that as well. I, I don't know if that's the same here, but I, uh, that makes a lot of sense. The white modernist mm. boxes uh, have a little less soul and, and, and consciousness, I suppose. Well, I think maybe that's a, that's a good uh, segue into talking about Inigo and its origins. And you've recently launched Inigo, right? Beginning of this year, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what that is and, and how, you've, how you came to launch that. Yeah. So as I say, when we started the modern house, we really were looking to champion modernism as a sort of underappreciated design style way of life and all that sort of thing. But we'd always loved a much broader range of architecture. You know, it's not as if, you know, people get the wrong idea that if you love modern, you must hate Georgian, you know, or if you love Georgian, you must hate modern. And that's just not the case. Really, what it comes down to is, you know, it comes down to it kind of space, light, materials. Yeah. And you find those qualities in buildings of all different periods. So Matt and I had always wanted to be able to, you know, sort of from a selfish level, get our foot in the door of other other houses, other spaces. Yeah. Just because we really enjoyed it. So that was our way of being able to do that, really. And we also had a lot of clients and people coming up to us saying, oh, we'd love to use the modern house, but our house isn't modern, you know. And <laughs> we'd look at it and we'd go, yeah, well, yeah, okay, it's sort of not modern, but it's still fantastic. Let's, let's see what we can do for you. So that's what it was. When you hear country estates, particularly English country estates, the, the, yeah. you, you have a picture, but, you're, but the way you've created the visual identity and the tone of voice and the... It's got a little bit of the the great modern house editorial, but it's very vibrant, mm. Uh, mm. or at least it feels quite a vibrant, mm. kind of fun. How did you come about with that? Absolutely. Well, you know, everything stems from our enjoyment of great spaces, you yeah. know. So, it, you know, we don't want to make things into history. 
Mm. You know, we want to make them alive, even if something has an amazing historical aspect. It's really all about enjoying it today. So we wanted our brands to come across as not dusty and old, but but fun, alive and forward thinking, whilst also just getting so super excited about the detailing, you know, the materials, the designs of the past. And the patina, I suppose, on some of these buildings. And the patina, yeah, exactly. And just seeing them as part of the long lineage of the heritage of our, of, of, you know, design in this country, not as old things that are stuck in the past, I suppose. I believe it's a name after someone called Inigo Jones. Can you just talk a little Mm. bit about what was so special about Inigo Jones and how, how you got that name? Yes, Inigo Jones was one of England's earliest great architects. And I suppose what we really liked about him, apart from the fact that he had quite a nice name that went well as the name of our brand, was that he came from nothing. So he was actually a the son of a kind of cloth worker, grew up speaking Welsh as a first language and went on to become the Royal Household's architect and designed some of the biggest and grandest buildings um, in the UK, but from very, very humble origins. And I suppose, you know, we like the fact that really represented that both what we do with Inigo and the modern house, we really try to get in every type of building from the humble to the very grand, you know, so it's not about size it's not about price you know we really would do something you know from a huge country house to a tiny fishing shack and i think it's you know our clients really love the fact that we have that breadth as well you know the country house owner really likes the fact that they're part of the same kind of club as you know as some creative with a little shack you know so that's part of the reason why we thought he was the right person to name a name our company after that's a great story and I think you, you you touch on something there that I've thought is really interesting which is this this sort of refashioning of traditional luxury right this traditional yes. luxury and particularly in the real estate world is is yeah. either high-end ostentatiousness gilded yeah. embroidered and decoration or it's tacky modernism right and and yes and I think what was already happening but what we're seeing now is this informal luxury as you talk about right whereas yes the little mm-hmm. shack in the on the beach or the fishing you know where where you've got yeah. this soul and character people suddenly yeah. realize how incredibly valuable and scarce absolutely which is luxury right is and then just as as the bigger uh, more for example ostentatious building might be but you're seeing it across the world in fashion and in lifestyle and in, in buildings etc Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, people have the same dreams and aspirations and visions and wants and desires. Just some people have more more wealth than others. And yet they're the same people with the same desires, you know, so you want to be able to cater for everybody, really. And presumably the retreat or the escape from the cities has coincided or this was something you were thinking about before? No, it was something we were thinking about before you had a sense really that people were going to crave the comfort, I suppose, in some ways of older stuff. And I think that's also partly as the world gets crazier, as the climate emergency gets louder, as the tech disruption becomes ever more unsettling, 
the idea of a old place that was born centuries ago uh, just has a sort of comforting aspect to it as well. So that's something that we kind of identified, I suppose. And how's it going? It's been how many months since that launched? January this year. So, yeah, sort of nine months. Um, Yes, uh, way ahead of predictions, which is fantastic. And, yeah, again, it's all about building the team. It's about getting the right people there. That's what will be the barrier to growth. The barrier to growth is not the amount of great houses out there. It's the amount of great people who really understand the mission, I suppose. Yeah. Do you see in terms of growth for modern houses, is it, a, is it to find another building topology or, um, or, is, mm-hmm. it a, or is it growth into international markets, that kind of thing? Yeah, we're certainly very interested in international markets. So at the moment, we're actually getting investment to allow us to look more closely at um, at international markets. So that's um, certainly something we're very excited about doing. But we really do feel as though with Inigo and the Modern House, you know, we've really got all the great houses in the country kind of covered in a way. Yeah. So really, then the question becomes, you know, you think, OK, so we've built up a community. Yeah. I mean, as you said, you know, we've got, you know, over half a million Instagram followers now. And so then you think, well, what else might they want or need other than a home brokerage service? Because only a very slim fraction of those half a million people are actually going to buy a set of house. Yeah. So we started to look at how people already use our website, for instance, and how we can help those people or is something we can share with them or is something we can do above and beyond the home sales. So um, that's what we're, we're looking at at the moment. And so the, the aspirational voyeur who enjoys, as many people call it, the, the property porn they might never not or not be able to afford one of the properties, but they might go and buy a magazine or they might listen to the podcast or they might go to an event, et cetera. And, and, and it's the philosophy, the aspiration, the experience. Absolutely. And we're, you know, which is fantastic. And we yeah. really enjoy dealing with those people. I mean, so one of the things that people always say to us is that they use our website when they're, say, refurbishing their kitchen. My sister's doing uh, that. She said that she was doing the same. Yeah. Well, there you go. So they go onto our website. They look at all the kitchens and, so, you know, try to get ideas. Yeah. So people are already doing that. But they say what's really annoying is that we see this great tap, for instance, but we don't know what it is. So then we have to spend two hours Googling gold wavy tap or you know whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And they say, you know, oh, couldn't you just have a service whereby, you know, we could just easily find out what all the stuff in the kitchen is. So, you know, that's just an example of some way we could kind of diversify what we do. Absolutely. But you have this this directory. And you've yeah. done it a little bit on both Inigo and the Modern that's right. House, right? You've got the Guild on Inigo yeah. and then you've, on Modern House, you've got the directory where you've got right. a diverse collection of products, architects, landscape gardeners, et cetera, who... Well, exactly, yeah. So the kind of bigger mission is to get more and better housing out there existing in the world. Yeah. So the directory helps with that mission, but again, commercially it helps because the more kind of houses that fit into our remit there are out there, the more, you know, the more addressable market we have. Yeah. 
but yes, we could make that a more formal directory, for instance, and make it more of a, a thing because we know that people use it a lot. But we really see it as kind of just part of our community and just, you know, everyone wants the same thing, which is great spaces. So let's try and make that happen. So you've been doing this since 2005. What are some of the things that have been your sort of biggest lessons or things that have surprised you mm. about the industry, but also just about the kind of modern living in, in, in general? I was really surprised at the beginning at how reticent people were to invest in design and architecture when it came to their homes, given how much money people spend on, say, art, for instance. Mm. And then you've got a house that's designed by one of the greatest architects of all time, and they're not prepared to spend any more than on a normal house, whereas obviously they would spend much more on, say, a painting by someone well-known compared to another painting. One of the most exciting things is seeing that change, you know, and seeing people's confidence grow in, I suppose, design as a property asset class. You know what I mean? As a long-term investment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That if you buy a great house, you're going to be able to sell it as a great house as well. So that's one of the biggest changes that I've seen. Because at the beginning, what we always got was, look, we know this house is great, but it's a bit unusual. So we're not sure if we should sink our life savings into it. Whereas now people are like, wow, I can see this house is so different from anything else. And that's great. Therefore, it will stand out in the market when we come to sell it again. So that's a real shift in, you know, it's a shift from kind of oddball to hero. So that's great. Uh, you know, it's always a privilege to see design trends come and go and to be at the forefront of those changes. Because really, we want to be engaged with people who are always trying to push the boundaries and things change, you know, um, environments change, you know, how people want to live change. And it's really great to, to be at the cutting edge of that. So I guess in my time, for instance, the explosion in love of, uh, I don't know, plants, for instance, I mean, I can see you've got pictures of plants sitting there behind you, but it used to be that house plants was something that you're, your mum and dad had as a hangover from the 70s. Right. And now, you know, you can't walk into a space without it being like a jungle, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'm sure that's also post-2020, post that's a big thing as well, right? Like just the, yeah. You've got yeah, all these, so these mail-order plant companies, uh, mail exactly. uh, online e-commerce plant companies coming up. Exactly. And then, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about open plan and how the kind of the love of that has faded and you know so that's always fun to try and stay at the cutting edge of changes whilst also appreciating what just hasn't changed i mean um vitruvius said in i can't remember you know he's supposed to be the first architectural critic back in the kind of um you know roman times and he said it was about truth beauty and durability he said it in Latin, so I can't remember what the Latin was. But um, And that's the kind of Vitruvian triangle. And that just doesn't change. You know, it doesn't matter if you get a space, what type of space it is, how old it is. You know, you want something to be have truth. You know, want it to have beauty and you want it to have longevity. But on top of that is the kind of more layer of flux, which is more fun, I suppose. Yeah. Well, look, Albert... I'm out of questions here. This has been a, a fantastic <laughs> conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I, I think um, 
as I've said before, like from the US perspective, it's 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 been it's been a joy to kind of watch the modern house, uh, what it's been doing for the design industry, and and I think you know, as you said, proof of quality and and people's desire to live in a in a in a different way and modern way. Um, so yeah. thank you so much for for the conversation. It's been great. That's okay. No, I, I you know I think the UK has a lot to learn from the US and the way that they do things. So yeah, I'm fascinated to to keep an eye, uh, you know, on what's happening over there. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll we'll, we'll see you over here soon. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks All so right. much, Albert. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks a lot, James. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Brave New World podcast from Studio Sanderson. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out the podcast episode details or visit studiosanderson.com for links to additional resources and recommended reading from myself and others. See you next time.